Good morning, church. It's been a busy morning already. The 8 o'clock service was full of um, excitement and drama. Sissy Gaddy uh, got very, very sick and had to be taken away in an ambulance right in the middle of the sermon, which I think um, I, I, they don't teach you what to do about that in seminary. I mean, right in the middle of your sermon. She's fine. She, she was fine when she left, and they've taken her to the hospital. So that's why we prayed first for Sissy Gaddy. And then there was, a, there was a man clearly not in his right mind who was wandering through the parking lot this morning with a large knife. And uh, I'm a big guy, I'm not usually intimidated, but I walked up to him, and when he turned and looked at me, I could look at his eyes, and I thought, okay, we're just going to let this guy, hopefully, you know, Lord, please get him out of here safely and keep him safe. So all that before 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so if I burst into flames or something up here, just, you know, <laughs> keep going. Last week, I told the folks in the church building, I told the folks in the church building that uh, Paul in his, in his letter to the Romans, as it got to chapter 12, was beginning to sound and speak a lot about duty and obligation. The, the, early, the early verses that we heard last week, verses 1 through 8, sounded a lot like duty and obligation. I even quoted a commentary that said this, the particular exhortations of this chapter are reducible to the three basic principles of Christian duty. Duty to God, duty to ourselves, and duty to our brothers and sisters. I went further and said that that ought to sound a little bit like something else we might have heard. Jesus' words in Matthew to the lawyer. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says to the lawyer when he's asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And this, these are words that I'm sure a lot of you know and are memorized. Um, the greatest is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul was echoing Jesus' words, I said, in the first few verses of Romans. But I tried to make an important point about this word duty or obligation. And my point was that although they, the verses sound a great deal like that, what Paul and Mike Lumpkin, I listened to his sermon too last week, what Paul and Mike Lumpkin wanted us to hear and wanted the believers in Rome to hear was that it was because of what God's grace had done for us, which did three things. It freed us from the penalty of the law. It makes us finally righteous to stand before God. And for the purposes of the letter to the Romans, it fills us with God's spirit. So now these perceived obligations are no longer duty, but really they become our response to God's grace. So we're not doing it out of duty. We're not commanded any longer to do it. But because of God's grace now, our behavior is changed. Um, therefore, as Paul said last week, we now behave in a way that looks different. Sometimes, sometimes, we don't all walk around like sanctified saints all the time. We have moments where we slip. Uh, Calvin or Luther said that we're simultaneously saints and sinners. So we're holding this tension in our bodies, simultaneously saints and sinners. But Paul wanted us to know that because of God's grace, free from this sin, our behavior should begin to look different. We should begin to behave in a different way because we're no longer slaves to sin, you see. We're no longer bound. We're no longer chained to this thing called sin. We're free from it. So this morning, in the second half of chapter 12, what Paul is doing is giving us a description of how this behavior looks inside the church as well as outside the church. Two ways. Often people, especially in seminary, we debated this a lot, take the Bible to be entirely prescriptive. 
they want to make the Bible a how-to manual or a rule book, if you will. And of course, that's not horrible. I mean, we all like the rules except when we're breaking them, right? And we don't want to hear about the rules. The Bible's antiquated or whatever. But that all too often, people take the Bible and use it strictly as a prescription. Do this, don't do that. Well, the truth is, it's, it's actually more often than not a description. It's a description of what God is doing, not what we ought to or should do. It's what God has done, is doing, and will do for his creation. He's the one who initiates, we act, we respond. That's that change from duty and obligation to a responded behavior. Well, with that said, there is no getting around the fact that this morning, Paul is giving us a prescription. He is telling us, do this and don't do that. Uh, James Dunn, a famous New Testament theologian, calls chapter 12 Paul's rubric of love. Now, if you don't know what the word rubric means, it's the italicized words in our prayer book, for instance. If you have ever opened one of our prayer books, it gives you instructions about when to stand and when to kneel, what the priest does, when to face the altar. Those are rubrics. Those are instructions that are written in italics there. This is what Paul is doing here in Romans. He's giving us his rubric of love. So I want to look at uh, the verses in chapter 12, 9 through 21. And as Carrie hopefully can get them up for us, I don't think I told her I wanted to do that. I'll make one quick point before we, we go through these rather quickly. The, the scripture, verses 9 through 21, are broken up into two sections. There's the prescription to our behavior with one another, and those are verses 9 through 12. So when I go through this, listen, it's as if Paul is standing here this morning talking to us about us. And then the verses uh, 14 through 21 are our behavior when we leave. I said this earlier, John is excellent at reminding us every Sunday when he sends us out that our work is just beginning. You know, John Scott says, and now we go out and do the work you've given us to do. So there's two pieces to this, the, the, the behavior inside the church and the behavior outside. So in verse 9, Paul says, love must be sincere, anipokritos. I'm going to give you a couple of Greek words in a minute. I, I couldn't resist. I'm not going to give you this one. But the word for sincere here is anipokritos. Sounds like hypocrite. Our love should be without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. I read that and thought, no way. I can't do that. There's no way I can have unhypocritical love. And the truth is I can't. Only God has unhypocritical love. So without God's spirit in me, we're, I'm, we're doomed from the beginning before we even get any further. So God's spirit in us is the thing that will make our love unhypocritical. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This is one of the Greek words I'll give you in a minute. Uh, the word here is agatho. Agatho. It's the, the root of that word is where we get the root for agape, that God love, the love that only God can have. So verse 10 goes on to say, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Here's a, a free tip, an unsolicited advice. If you are in a dry place in your life, I know that maybe for the 9 o'clock service there aren't many, but if you are in a dry place in your life, find a place to serve the Lord. Serve him in your marriage. Serve him with your children. Serve him at this church. I know many of us are involved here, and this is not a pitch to get more involved, but it simply is a pitch, as Paul prescribes it, to pull us out of a dry place. I don't hear the Lord's voice. I, I don't feel like I'm doing the Lord's purpose. Find something. Put something in front of yourself, Paul says. 
Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the end of the prescription for our behavior to one another. And it looks a lot like the church every day, doesn't it? Um, Be joyful in hope as you sit with others in the hospital. Be patient in affliction as maybe you're the one who is suffering in sickness. Be faithful in prayer as we did this morning and as we did for Sissy. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, each giving to the other when needed. Practice hospitality, life groups. That's what it looks like. That's what our behavior looks like inside the church. Okay, now we're going to get into the tough stuff. We're going to go outside. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This ought to remind us all of something. This ought to sound like some words we've heard before. Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. Paul's echoing him here. Blessed are you when men persecute you, this first verse, which is verse 10 and 11 in the Sermon on the Mount. There's no doubt when you read these words that Paul and the other evangelists are trying to remind the early church and us of the way Jesus, what Jesus spoke about and the way Jesus behaved to live as an example to us or the way he lived as an example to us. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you. Boy, that's a AA, that's a 12-step recovery nugget right there as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, here's where this begins to get very challenging, so of course I'm going to deviate. Uh, I will make one point about these words, though. This was a, a long discussion that we had in the middle of our staff meeting when we do Bible study each week. What Paul is doing here is he's setting up an argument for love against indifference, not hate. We all know that the opposite of love is not hate, right? The opposite of love is indifference or inaction. You see, love is a verb. And Paul is saying something like this. In this corner, we have love. And in the opposite corner, we have inaction and indifference. So in the red trunks, love. In the blue trunks, inaction or indifference. Because Paul understands that love is coming from God's grace which manifests itself in our behavior, the way we care, the way we love for one another, or the way that we do good. This type of good, Paul explains, um, leads us to a dependence on one another and true life. Dependence on one another and true life. This is a non-negotiable fact for Paul. So this life as a Christ follower leads us to depend on one another because we need each other. And I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of dependable, uh, self-made Westerners. I know we don't like to hear that, but we do. Hear me. We need one another. We were designed that way. Not in an unhealthy way. Not in a codependent way. But in a way, like Paul described earlier, where we share. It's a sharing need. We're not supposed to go through this life alone. We're not. So, on the one hand, the world or Satan offers indifference and independence, which is evil, by the way. And at the other is, on the other hand, is the good, which uh, Paul is pointing us toward and which the Spirit of God moves us toward. 
So back by popular demand, two more Greek words for all of us to enjoy. We're going to put them up on the board here now. Because in today's reading, Paul uses these two Greek words to define these extremes. Good is that agatho. Agatho. Say that with me. Agatho. And evil is the word poneron. Can you say that? Poneron. And there's the Greek letters after it. If you really want to know each one of them, I'll tell you later. But you'll have to trust me. The letters after poneron are the Greek for it. So according to Paul, we're being moved by the Spirit toward agatho and away from poneron. And Paul concludes with what our behavior will result in. On the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, which is actually an ancient Near East proverb. Paul's quoting something that everybody then would have understood what he meant. It, it, um, that's a sermon for another day. But it's essentially when you do these things, it will change that person. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, this is really an, admi- an admonition to love each other no matter what. It sounds something like only God can do. I've quoted Rob Bell before, and I'll do it one more time. Rob Bell wrote a book a couple years ago that caused a great deal of controversy. It was called Love Wins. Love Wins. And the premise of the book, which stirred everyone up, was that there may not be heaven or hell. I don't agree with Rob on that. I don't agree with Rob on that. But his deeper point was that God's grace, this powerful, uh, supernatural gift of God's grace, will have the effect that everyone one day will bow the knee in respect and in devotion to God. Uh, The point Rob was trying to get at was that a loving God would never condemn anybody or a creation to hell. The thing that I do want to focus on about what Rob says is that God's grace does have the ability in this world to change lives. God's grace has the ability in this world to change lives. And here's the remarkable quality about this grace that I want you to leave. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. This behavior is not something we do. This behavior is not something we do. It's something we are. Behavior in the Christian life is not something we do. It's something we are. Think Superman. Superman doesn't do superhero. Superman is a superhero. He can't separate his superhero-ness from who he is, you see? We don't do Christianity. We become, by God's grace, Christians. So our behavior becomes something that we are, not something that we do. That should let a lot of us off the hook. I mean, we love to do things. I love it that we do things here. We do great things here. But this doing becomes more our natural behavior, you see, according to Paul, than something that we set our minds to do. Because Paul says, once the Spirit of God inside of us, once the Spirit of God has come to live inside of us, we no longer have to worry about wanting to choose the good. It will slowly happen over time. We are all being moved toward the good. And ultimately, as Thomas Aquinas says, one day we'll be joined to the greatest good, the greatest good, God our Father. So we should be different. We should be different. And I'll tell you that if you're seated here this morning, you are. Your neighbors who didn't go to a church this morning looked at you and thought, they are different. What are they doing that for? Uh, By volunteering at this church, by giving your money and your time and your talents, you are showing the world that you are different. Your behavior is beginning to change into who you are, not what you do. 
Hear this, Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. New life through his spirit that lives in you. The spirit of God will and does work in our lives to make us look and act differently. So again, our behavior is being transformed not into something we just do, but rather, as Jesus and Paul understand and write, something we are becoming. Do you all see the difference? We are becoming. So it's not about how we behave or act that Jesus came and died. It's about receiving the truth in our life of God's grace and allowing that truth to change us into people who are becoming more like Christ. People whose first nature or basic instinct is to become and act like the disciples that Paul describes today. Kathy McGrew said in our staff meeting this week as we read this, when she was asked, we were all asked, what did you hear God saying? Kathy said, well, what I hear is, let God be God. The collect today that we said speaks of God grafting into our hearts the love of his name and asking God to bring forth in us the fruit of his good works. God will do it if we let him. Let God be God. I'm going to show you a one-minute video. I, I had to slip this in. I'm going to give you a little story about it afterwards. But I think it shows beautifully what it means to be, how we should be behaving inside and outside the church. I hope it makes you smile. Carrie's going to put it up for us. And I'll tell you a little bit about it when it's done. And maybe you can go home and watch the whole thing on YouTube. Everything that's in our minds affects everything. It was difficult because suddenly there's all these things I love doing that I couldn't do. I think Ty said, I reckon I'd put you on my back and take you surfing. And I said, oh no, let's try it. It's called duct tape surfing. Duct tape surfing. Uh, that young man is not her son. She has two sons that are not big enough to carry her on her back, on their back. This was a friend of theirs, and like she says in the video, she spent mornings watching them surf. And she's a very active person. She was injured in a car accident. And um, one morning, one of, the, one of the boys in the surfing group, one of the members of the church, said, uh, you know what, you could surf if you really wanted to. I think I could duct tape you to my back. And if you watch the whole video, they show she's in her van or in a Volkswagen van, and he lays down on top of her, and it's an intimate looking, but it's amazing. They're both in these wetsuits, and he begins to take duct tape and strap her to himself, and he stands up, and there she is, all 80 or 90 pounds on his back. And then they go out and they surf together. They go out and they surf together. That's what Paul is talking about, our behavior being transformed. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, I don't want everybody rushing out, grabbing duct tape, running around. No, it's not that. That's a, clearly a metaphor. But it is 
the point that I'm trying to make this morning. God creating the wave, us being involved inside and outside the church, and us recognizing that our behavior, these things that we do, are a result of God's grace changing us, changing us. Amen.